We want to welcome all of our listeners to the 26th episode of Minority Report with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with real operators and leaders in digital media. Today joining us is Sarah Porritt, Senior Director at OMD USA, Diversity and Inclusion Lead. Let's jump in and get to know Sarah. Sarah, welcome. How are you? What's up? I am living that work from home life today. <laughs> Thanks for making the time. Absolutely. Today and every day for the foreseeable future, right? <laughs> yeah, in, indefinitely, indefinitely. Um, from my shoebox in Hell's Kitchen, New York. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? We're, we're, we're all figuring out how to make it work. We're grateful you're on and uh, welcome. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now and sort of uh, what you're doing for work in your area of expertise. Sure. So I feel like I always wear many hats and that kind of changes and shifts as I go from different stages in my life. And as you mentioned a little earlier, I am a senior director of integrated media planning at OMD. So I've been working in the media industry for over a decade at this point, across a couple different accounts, jumping from media strategy to investment, back to strategy, but really kind of staying in that space. But to your point earlier as well, too, I also lead diversity and inclusion across all of our offices in the U.S. It's kind of a new role within the OMD ecosystem, but very, very rewarding and something that I, I uh, have a lot, a lot of heart for. Well, that's awesome. That's really great. Tell us a little bit about your background and your culture, where you come from, and a little bit about your identity. Sure. I actually grew up in China. My Mandarin is conversational. I have the vocabulary of probably a four-year-old, but it's it's actually pretty standard in terms of a pronunciation. I grew up in a little town called Xiamen off the southeast coast, and it's, it's very tropical. It's probably not what you would think of as China when you typically see images of China, but it's got palm trees, lots of high rises at this point, great shopping, amazing seafood. But it wasn't always like that growing up. You know, um, those, mm. back in those days, uh, my parents were the first group of people to go back into education, and they were the first group to get college educated after the Cultural Revolution. And back in those days, you know, we were living in very poor conditions, but so were most of the people that were our neighbors and around us. You know, similar immigrant story to a lot of other folks, but uh, my parents came to the States to find a better life for me. It's really the primary reason why they moved over here. And they kind of staggered the way that they did it. Uh, my dad came here when I was four. My mom came here when I was six. And then I stayed with my grandparents and I finally arrived at the age of eight. And so I was always brought up with very traditional Chinese beliefs, you know, always valuing everything that I have, especially since, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. I found my first Barbie doll out of the dumpster, um, always very much valued education growing up. So very traditional in a lot of ways, but also non-traditional in a lot of ways uh, and very American. Mm -hmm. Wow. Very nice. Very nice, Sarah. And obviously um, your family, your upbringing, it instilled in you, as you said, sort of a, the sense of, of education. I'd love to understand sort of your your career path as well, too, and and how you got to senior director at OMD, as well as the, the DNI lead, which I think goes along the lines of the education piece. Sure. Um, <laughs> so historically, I've been a bit of a quitter, and I've uh, kind of prided myself on that in certain ways, 
because I've never been really uh, on the straight and narrow. I've kind of followed my heart and followed my passion. So from an education standpoint, yes, I was a huge book a bookworm and a huge nerd in high school. But at the same time, I also quit high school twice to pursue R&B music professionally and ended up going to Princeton University a couple years later after taking some time off, uh, study sociology. Didn't really know what I wanted to get into out of college, but I knew that I wanted to learn how to promote and market myself and my music for as cheaply as possible. And I figured one way to do that is to get into the belly of the beast and learn how big advertisers with tons of money are doing it so that I can potentially figure out how to wiggle my way in and do some guerrilla warfare. So I will say that was my original intention. Started off from the bottom and actually was at OMB when I first got out of college and I'm back here now after a couple years at MEC. But really just climbed the corporate ladder, did what I needed to do, put in a lot of effort, learned as much as I could. And at least from a corporate media planning perspective, I would say my trajectory has been pretty standard. But I will say diversity and inclusion and culture has always been something that I've been very, very passionate about. And I don't even know how how it happens some of the times, but uh, I, I feel like I just end up integrating myself and raising my hand from a cultural perspective a lot. So for instance, at my old agency, I really wanted to do Oprah's 21-Day Meditation Challenge with Deepak Chopra. So I actually offered to have a bunch of coworkers come together and do just that. Then when people, I saw how people were so engaged with that effort, I started to lead some, you know, efforts where we all volunteer together, similar to what we were just talking about earlier with Lucky Forks Corral. And then when, when I pivoted over to OMD, I started to kind of wean off of that because I really wanted to make sure that I set the foundation for media strategy and media planning, especially coming into a, a new position. At the same time, though, I feel like it's that magnetic force that keeps pulling me in the direction of culture and purpose and ended up linking up with the head of culture and strategic initiatives at the time who wanted me to help her do a Women's Day panel. And I feel like a lot of these cultural initiatives for people that have heart for it, that have energy for it, they, you know, it just snowballs. And one Women's Day panel and talk turns into another panel, turns into more efforts. Um, and, you know, I started teaching yoga at work. I started doing a lot of these things that were that were in the realm of diversity and inclusion. So I will say that uh, I've been very fortunate that when this role became something that's more official, that my name naturally bubbled up to leadership. And now I have uh, this position where I'm able to do this amazing work for all of our offices across the U.S. That's that's awesome. That's really awesome, Sarah. And, you know, obviously, as we're recording this, we're all at home right now because of of COVID-19. And, you know, I, I personally feel things like diversity and inclusion and uh, especially the inclusive part within an organization and being purpose driven is even more important now that like, you know, we're all spread out and not able to to see each other. Can you what, what are your thoughts on that? I, I was curious to get your thoughts on how you think, you know, inclusivity plays into all of us being at home at this point. Yeah. So I would say that, you know, there used to be somewhat of a dividing line between DNI work at an agency and culture work at an agency, even though they're all they all come together. I feel like culture and DNI has now become one. 
because this need for for inclusion specifically is becoming more and more of a cultural challenge that we need to tackle and come together as a community to tackle. So I think a lot of us CNI practitioners are, are having to come together and be really creative and also be very purposeful and cognizant of what's going on in this new world, in this new reality that we're in. So for instance, you know, when we are doing WebExes, Zoom sessions, are we making sure that we are including everybody who deserves a seat at the table? Right. Are we are we hijacking time on the WebEx or are we allowing people to speak? Are we making them comfortable speaking? Are we giving them some micro affirmations to make them realize that their opinions are valued? I think that there's a lot we can do now to build a community together. And it's so critical for us to support each other more so even than other times, especially for parents, you know, who have to juggle a lot of schedules, who maybe have to stagger you know, meetings and responsibilities. It's so important for us to create a sense of inclusion and community so that we can come together to help each other. Awesome. And, you know, speaking of DNI and, you know, you also host your own podcast, Hear Us Roar podcast. I'd love for you to uh, tell the audience a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, it's the, the podcast actually is a little bit of an ode to She Roars, which is the Princeton platform for women. And I feel like uh, I wanted to do this for my alma mater because Princeton was one of the first places that truly embraced my diversity. Uh, you know, even in in the music that I'm doing, as much as I, I pour my heart and soul into the lyrics and into the performance, uh, I am, at the end of the day, an Asian American person who is trying to make it in an industry that that doesn't have a lot of faces that looks like hers, you know, and in a lot of ways, I am desperately seeking that inclusivity and that diversity. But Princeton, you know, when I first uh, applied to go and really had had really no clue that they were even going to let me in being a two time high school dropout. But they they really wanted to know the ways in which I am diverse and the ways in which I can contribute to the conversation in ways that other academics and children who are very intellectual in different ways aren't able to contribute. So I, I love that about them. Hear Us Roar, it's a podcast featuring stories of Asian American women who have traversed the road not taken. So uh, last season, I interviewed Margaret Cho, who is a famous comedian, uh, Dawoon Kang, who founded Coffee Meets Bagel, but basically women who don't necessarily fit the mold of what success looks like from culturally, from an Asian American perspective. And especially since, you know, even in the music industry, there still isn't real East Asian presence that has made it in pop culture. I feel like it's more important than ever in the age of, you know, crazy rich Asians where people are starting to to acknowledge that Asian Americans can and are a part of mainstream culture and a part of American culture, encouraging people encouraging children especially to really dream their their biggest dream you know and and pursue their passions and rewrite that narrative of what's successful and what's possible as an Asian American woman especially who's you know we're we're taught to follow the rules and start to to think about storylines that that look at success differently that's great you know um Sarah about the the industry and with your role like what, what are you seeing? You know, are, are there ways that the industry can improve and, and be more inclusive? And how do you see it sort of changing through your role and what you're seeing? 
Sure. So uh, just to be specific, are you are you thinking about the music industry or are you thinking more specifically about the, the media and advertising industry? Yeah, I was thinking about the, the media and advertising industry. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I would say that it, <laughs> being an Asian American working in DNI is, is, is very, very interesting because it's, uh, it's a perspective that and, and a voice that isn't necessarily heard as loudly in DNI. I would say this is because we are seen oftentimes as the model minority. You know, so if uh, an agency has an employee resource group, Asian Americans are usually near the end of that priorities list when it comes to building community and really creating outreach um, and, and programs around Asian Americans. So I would say that for the most part, I think that in our industry, there's been a huge pivot in focusing on diversity and inclusion. A lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, um, it's great for the bottom line. <laughs> you know, uh, greater diversity generates greater innovation. I think we've heard a lot of that, that those same storylines already. But what I would say is, you know, be mindful of the different facets of diversity and the, the groups that aren't necessarily getting quite as much attention, you know, um, yeah. thinking about diversity of thought, thinking about even if someone's considered a model minority, you know, do they feel lonely? Do they feel included? Or do they actually, um, you know, on the other hand, feel excluded because they're not seen as necessarily a minority to some people? Uh, so I think it's just being cognizant of those of those little nuances when it comes mm -hmm. to how we define and assess diversity. No, that's great. You know, in your career or personally, do you think that you've experience discrimination in some way or form? Oh, yeah, for, for sure. I would say that there's a lot of ways when that, you know, being Asian American has really worked for me. You know, I, I'm assumed to be good at math, even though I'm not. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm probably assumed to be relatively organized, uh, have probably have an education, you know, so there's, there's a lot that's working for me. There, there really is. But at the same time, you know, especially in the current days and day when we have COVID-19, um, that's a part of our cultural landscape, you know, just the other day when, when we were still allowed to travel and you know, at least where it was safer to travel, when I went to San Francisco and I wore my mask, I got a lot of looks. I got a lot of people, you know, making little comments about me being extra aggressive with the way that they treat me. And I think there's a national problem of um, Asian Americans facing a lot of xenophobia right now. And I, I think, mm -hmm. you know, even the government, um, our president is course correcting some of that as much as best as he can, you know, but at the same time, I think that a lot of that damage is done. So, so yes, uh, <laughs> yeah. again, you know, Asian American populations aren't always at the forefront of discrimination and uh, diversity conversation, but there are definitely pockets where it becomes really, really critical to address those issues and concerns. Excellent. What, what advice would you give anyone, Sarah, that is facing discrimination, right? Like how, how should people deal with that and handle it? Yeah, so I think that's a really great question. I think that it's individual to everyone and there is an internal action plan and then there is also an external action plan. So I don't know if you've heard of the four agreements. Uh, it's a it's a book of Toltec wisdom essentially. And basically, you know, part of what I learned from the four agreements is that you know, when I'm doing my best, when I am being as honest as I can with my own word and as truthful as I can, that is literally all I can do. 
So, you know, if I'm being discriminated against, if I'm being treated unfor- uh, unfairly or poorly, uh, it's not a reflection of me necessarily. It's a reflection of how the other person feels about me. So acknowledging internally that it's not personal to you. And then externally too, I think, you know, it's, it's taking a step back, assessing the situation, taking some of that anger and potentially fear out of the situation and seeing what you can do about it. You know, do you have any influence in your organization or in your community to be able to voice your concerns or create change? And are there enough people who, who have uh, face similar challenges who may want to come together and, and solve this challenge with you. Because I feel like a lot of these issues that we're facing as individuals, they're not unique to us. And a lot of people are facing the same challenges. And we just need to come together and speak openly and truthfully about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, uh, sort, of, sort of thinking about facing challenges uh, alone or with others. So uh, tell us about uh, heroes or mentors that you may have in this space. I often think about when you're developing personally or in your career, uh, sometimes we have folks that help us and sometimes we have no one that helps us. Do you have any heroes or or mentors in, in, in uh, in your career? Or even yeah, life. I <laughs> I would say I've been really bad about seeking out professional mentors. That's something that I really need to work on. As an introvert, I think networking has always been really, really hard for me. And I am also the type of person to always feel like, you know, I don't want to bother you. You know, I'm taking up your time. Um, I think those are all things that I, I, I need to work on from a professional standpoint. So at this point, I would say my biggest mentors are literally my, my friends and my husband. You know, my husband on a day-to-day basis is my sounding board. When I come home from work with all my frustrations, he literally talks me off a ledge more times than I can count. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I just need someone to, to listen and hold my hand and tell me everything's going to be okay. And mm-hmm. the friends that I have, you know, you know I I had a lot more friends you know, in high school, but now I feel like the friends that I have are such quality friends that mm-hmm. ground me and also tell me what I need to hear and vice versa, you know? And I think it's those people who are brave enough to be honest with you and tell me, tell you what you need to hear. And, you know, for me in reciprocation to do the same for them, but also uh, appreciate them for those things. Those are the types of people that, you know, I, I go to for advice and that I lean on in times when I'm having challenges or, or just need, you know, an, an open ear and an open heart. Friends, husband, it's life. Yes. Life, well, yeah, life work. <laughs> Life work balance. Is there is there such a thing and, and, and uh how do you how do you manage that? Uh I I think this is this is different in different stages of our lives. Uh mm-hmm. and again, you know, I, I wear so many hats. I always have, you know, singing, mm-hmm. yoga, podcast, you know, trying to do a speaker series as well, work. I'm actually doing an e Cornell course on DNI. Um, so right now I would say there is no such thing as work-life balance, but I will say, you know, deliberately being, having, uh, gone through yoga teacher training, deliberately learning about mindfulness and meditation. To me, it's about finding the ease in the flow in everything that I do. So, you know, again, about perspective, right? Even if you're frustrated or you're, you're tense. 
it's a state of, of being that you can choose to be in. And so for me, I don't mind working as long as I'm passionate about what I do. It's, it's creating a positive impact and that I, I find ease and flow and, and um, satisfaction from it. Also, obviously, you know, wherever possible, taking little pockets of time to just spend either by myself meditating or watching TV, spending quality time with my husband. But I would say, depending on my schedule, sometimes that's, that's not as easy as it sounds. I hear you on that. And Sarah, another thing that we have in common, I am also in the process of taking the same DNI course at Cornell. Oh, you're kidding. Wait, uh, you started the semester as well? I did. I'm on the third <laughs> course. I'm on the third course right now, which is the um, diversity and inclusion at work course. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm starting with week two. Uh, okay. I'm on, I'm on week three. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't wait to see your comments on the comment board. What well, we're going to have to connect on that after, but that's yeah. amazing. Congratulations. Shouts to Cornell. Shouts to it's so, a great program. It really yeah. is. So speaking of, of uh, all the things that you're, you currently have going on, Sarah, where, where do you draw inspiration from? What, what keeps you going day to day? I would say where I usually draw inspiration from and energy from, which it's weird for me to say as an introvert, is, is other people. <laughs> and not necessarily crowds, because again, introvert, but I would say, you know, whenever you feel the impact of your work, whether it's you know, when I did the show on the CW, a young lady writing me an email saying, you know, you're the first person I've seen on TV doing what I love to do. Thank you for showing me that it's possible. That just made me say, you know, like, I'm, I got to keep going with the music to, you know, someone in HR or someone at the agency who who reaches out to me and says, like says things to me that they wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable saying to HR or to, you know, senior leadership because they can be honest with me or someone telling me that, you know, my yoga flow WebEx <laughs> during COVID-19 lockdown was the, the, the most humanizing thing and the best way they've connected with the OMD community since we've all been working from home. I think it's really those little points of feedback that make me realize that, you know, what I am doing as much as I'm just kind of grinding away and doing the best that I can is hopefully making people's lives a little bit easier and better. That's great. That's great. And so uh, next question I have for you is a, a fun question. I love to ask. Every Yay. Ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've all been, they've all been fun questions and we've really enjoyed this conversation. But the question I have for you is what are the top, three apps on your phone and you cannot name email or calendar? Okay. So, I mean, uh, first one's probably very common, but somewhat embarrassing. It's Instagram. <laughs> uh, I'm a very visual learner. I love visual stimulation. Uh, you know, if I, if I have a moment in my day, to me, that's kind of like self-care. Uh, I very much curate my Instagram feed for things that kind of inspire me in certain ways. So Instagram's number one. I would also say this one's a no-brainer as well, but Spotify, uh, that's where mm -hmm. I listen to all my music, all my podcasts. And I think even you know, more so than ever, you know, when I'm doing housework or when I'm just kind of working out on my own in the apartment, I, I got Spotify on. Um, and also speaking of working out, uh, Peloton. Peloton um, actually has 
quite a diverse set of workouts on there. And actually, I got my yoga teacher training through Yoga Maya and one of my teachers is Anna Greenberg. And Peloton happened to have recruited her as one of the, the teachers to launch their yoga program. So I work out with Anna as much as I can on the app. So I'm, I'm on there heavily and I'm proud to say it because, you know, the Corona, Corona 15 is, is kicking on for me. <laughs> well, listen, thanks for joining us today, Sarah. And often our listeners like to connect and sort of keep the conversation going. Where can our listeners find you and kind of keep that chat going? Yeah, absolutely. So knowing that your listeners are on podcast, you know, check out Hear Us Roar, H-E-A-R-U-S-R-O-A-R. It's on all the different streaming platforms. I'm also on LinkedIn. Just look up Sarah Porritt, S-A-R-A-P-O-R-R-I-T-T, or feel free to even go on Instagram at Sarah Porritt, and you can find me through all those places and spaces. Excellent. Well, we want to thank all of our listeners for joining us again. We also want to take a moment to thank everyone for also sharing all of the episodes that you do. And you can find us everywhere you find your stream. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. This has been so amazing. <laughs>